All right, well, tonight we are going to be in Psalm 84, Psalm 84, and we'll be reading the entire psalm. Psalm's only 12 verses long, and uh, no doubt this is a psalm that uh, you will be familiar with uh, several of the verses in them. Some of the verses were even popularized by some contemporary worship songs uh, going back to, I guess, the late 90s and early 2000s. it's actually when I first really heard them, <laughs> and then I found out, oh, this Bible, okay, scripture, that's always, that's always good. So, um, so uh, we'll be looking at all of Psalm 84, verses 1 through 12. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. I'll bring the text up on the screen. Hear the word of the Lord. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars. O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. Uh, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and wonderful word. May he bless it richly to his uh, people. So this week I came across a news article that uh, talked about the rise of the kidult. It combines the word kid and adult, and yes, I die a little inside when I hear it. Um, it's a term that is applied to the increasing market share. It's a technical term that's being applied to the increasing market share of adults who are purchasing toys exclusively for themselves. Yes, adults still buy toys for their kids, but the $800 Lego set is not for the children, as it were. Now, before I go into some kind of rant, as I want to do, we have to ask ourselves what are these people searching for that they are adults buying children's toys not to give to children not to give to their own children but for themselves and their own enjoyment um what's what are they looking after and the answer is nostalgia right they're buying usually toys in connection to their own childhood and and to bring back that warm fuzzy feeling uh, from their past but why are they doing that Well, because they're unhappy, because they're scared, because they're unfulfilled, 
because they're uncertain about the future, and this is a means of feeling good for the moment, of getting some security that even if it's passing, and to kind of just feel nice and, and to have fun for a little bit, right? What's the harm? But as Christians, we, all, we can often find ourselves in places where we are scared and uncertain as well. Uh, and we can be in a place where we begin to wonder if the promises of God may be, may be fulfilled. But the thing about, um, and so, but the thing is, the difference here is that, you know, yes, the, 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 the temp, there's a temptation certainly for us to kind of long for the past. But Christian longing actually isn't backwards looking. It's, it's informed by the past. It's informed by what God has done for us as we record in the scriptures. But Christian longing is future oriented. Future longing is about where we're headed, not where we have been. And, and you know, for instance, uh, we think about the author of Hebrews. You know, what do you say about Abraham? Abraham, he was a man of faith who died without seeing all the covenant promises fulfilled before his eyes, but he was to be commended because he looked for, he longed for the heavenly city that was built without hands. And he knew that it would come to pass. And, and so we have before us this song. It's a song for us to take on our own pilgrim journey. Uh, Psalm 84 actually uh, falls uh, nicely along these kind of three breaks and has these three um, blessed statements, which are what we like to call in, in the, you know, the Gospel of Matthew, we call them the Beatitudes. You could call, you could call them the pilgrim Beatitudes, the three pilgrim Beatitudes of Psalm 84. And, and actually our, the structure of, our, of the sermon tonight will, um, will follow along those lines. But in verse 4, 5, and 12, you have the blessed are, blessed be, you know, the, the, those types of statements. But this song is a song that, that brings before our eyes three indispensable blessings. Our blessed destination, the blessed journey, and our blessed trust. And we'll look at each one of those tonight. First, we consider in verses 1 through 4, our blessed destination. This blessed destination we see is, in verses 1 through 2, a place of worship. The psalmist uses the language of love poetry to describe uh, being in the presence of the Lord in his courts. Literally, he says, how lovely is your dwelling place? Literally, the word is beloved, is what is there, there in the Hebrew. Now, normally, only priests were allowed in the courts of the temple, which raises two important points for us to consider. First, that the privilege of being in God's presence is beyond our understanding. And secondly, the privilege of being in God's presence is expanded to beyond the priests, uh, of, of the like the Levites to all of God's people in heaven because God's people in the end are a kingdom of priests. We, uh, we are, are part of the priesthood uh, of God. It is certainly possible here that the author may be thinking of the literal temple, but, uh, uh, but it, even so, if we think about it today, what is the temple of the Lord today? Well, it is his people. His people is where we, get, we gather together in the presence of the Lord. And so while we are on the earth, uh, the people of God are the temple, especially when we gather for worship on Sunday. But ultimately, we look to the new heavens and the new earth where we will be with God forever 
and in complete perfection. Now, verse 2 is interesting because it sounds very, uh, you know, poetic and, and, and kind of lovey-dovey uh, in the sense of kind of, and it certainly is praise, but it also, there is a background, a context of pain here. Uh, he says, my soul faints. Uh, it Literally, the word means to fail. My soul fails. It's, to have one's soul faint for something is not necessarily a good thing. Um, he is in a place where he hurts so badly to be with God in his courts that he, that he says his very soul is failing. Yet, yet, this is still not a dark thing. It is rather like a lover who pines for his beloved and wastes away because he is not with her. As his soul faints, he says, his heart and flesh cry out, not with sorrow, but with joy. For the living God. He's just completely taken up with the Lord. Here is a man who is in a hard place, but yet has his eyes firmly set on that which truly matters, the object of his devotion, his adoration, his love. He is not pining away for the next earthly comfort that will pass away in a moment or the wave of applause from men that will fade away in time. He is seeking after God and his heart is full of worship. But it's also uh, not only a place of worship, but it is a place of uh, safety, a beloved place of safety in verses 3 through 4. The author compares himself to a bird uh, finding a home to lay eggs. Well, what kind of a place is that? What, 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 are the, what is the nature of the location that a bird is going to make a nest in to lay the eggs? Well, it has to be a safe place, a place where the bird can let its guard down, at, at least more than other places. And so the author narrows this down for us. You know, what, what, is, the, what is the place of safety for the people of God? It is the altars of the Lord, he says, my king and my God. The altars are the place where sacrifice for sin is made, where prayers are lifted up, where God meets with his people. Indeed, the altar is where we meet our Lord, our King, our God today. For it is Christ who has become both the sacrifice and the altar of sacrifice itself. He is the true, the true sacrifice and the altar that guarantees our prayers, that conveys uh, the pr his presence to us by his Holy Spirit. And those who dwell in the house of the Lord ever sing his praises. So what does this all mean for the Christian? Well, it means that we long for our true home to be in heaven with God. We long for our true ultimate home in the kingdom of God. We long for it because we live in a world of sin and death, of sorrow and temptation. We long for the place where we can rest secure, where we can completely let our guard down. And one day we'll get there. One day the Lord will bring us home. One day the Lord will usher in his kingdom. But until then... It is the assembly of God's people that is meant to be a picture of heaven to come. It is the assembly of God's people that is meant to be 
the safe place where we can gather together to worship and rejoice in Christ. What a sadness when church cannot be that. I mean, there are times when we go to church and look, we go to church and we need to get afflicted. All right. We're going to church and God needs to afflict us. All right. There's that as well. Where he needs to convict us of sin. He needs to reveal to us something that we haven't that we that we haven't been avoiding, that we haven't been dealing with. That's true. But uh, but it's but it's still even there in the context of the love and goodness of God. It's in the context of it's very different when someone confronts you about your sin and you know they're your enemy. Right. It's very different than it's someone that you love and respect that's coming to you because, you know, they're coming from that place and to, and you know that you are safe in their presence. And so and so uh, now it matters to know where we're going, because whenever you go anywhere, you've got to have a destination. Right. You came here tonight. You're like, I'm going to the church. And you didn't just go to any church. You just pull into a house somewhere. Right. And be like, I'm, I'm at church now. Right. You had a specific destination. You're coming to even people who go on the Sunday drive who still kind of who are just like, we're just going to go drive for a bit and just enjoy the scenery and all that. They still plan to come home. Right. So there is a destination at the end of that drive still. Knowing where we're headed affects how we live now. If we are headed to the eternal city, then we are going to have our hearts and eyes set upon it. We are going to have that longing for our journey to be complete and, and so that we can rest and arrive in our final, at that final destination. It helps us to make use of and enjoy rightly the momentary pleasures of this life, the gifts and the graces that God gives to us daily. And it also helps us to avoid the pitfalls that, that shipwreck so many, so many others um, whose eyes become fixed upon the world and upon the things that are meant to actually help us and aid us and assist us, but they're not meant to be the ultimate things. And so we have this blessed destination that, secondly, informs our blessed journey in verses 5 through 8. And in these verses, uh, the author reveals to us that we are godly sojourners in verses 5 and 6. Verse 5 gives us two characteristics of the godly sojourner. First, he gives us, uh, first, that, for the, for the godly sojourner, his strength is in God. This is literally the name uh, of what, what Boaz's name means. It means God is my strength. That's why we named him that. Right? So God's sojourning people know that our strength is not in our numbers. It's not in our resources. It's not in our talents. Our strength is in the Lord himself. God the Father who loves us through his blessed Son, Jesus, by the Holy Spirit who communicates to us the benefits of our redemption during the journey of this life. That's where our strength is. Because our resources, even our collective resources, are limited and trifling. I mean, you can, you know, it's like it's, they always talk about, oh, well, you, you should have an emergency fund, right? So you save up that emergency fund. Isn't it amazing? How fast that emergency fund can go away real quick. You just have a few things going. It's like, man, these emer this emergency fund, you know, it goes fast. But God's resources are limitless and powerful. Second, and this is very poetic and may sound a little bit odd, but inside the godly sojourner's heart, we find highways to Zion. Very poetic turn of phrase there. 
And, and I thought it was interesting because scholars were a little bit vague. They were like, I'm not, we're not sure what this means, but I don't know. It seemed clear to me. I don't know if that's a warning sign, but it, it, seemed, it seemed to make sense. It made sense to me that the sojourner knows where he is going. The godly sojourner knows where he's going, and he knows that he has not arrived. That as God's people, we're headed to the kingdom of God. We're headed to Zion, and we're headed there from the inside out. That's where our heart wants to be. That's where our, ha- our heart is oriented. They always talk in the Old Testament about how, you know, where, wherever they were, they face east. Why? Because that's where the temple was, right? And so it's like, well, that's how the sojourner is. That's how the godly sojourner, sojourner, the godly pilgrim, the Christian pilgrim is, is that our hearts are turned to God. The highways to Zion. You look inside our hearts and you find the highway to Zion. We are pilgrims making our way to God. Now, it, talk, it talks about the Valley of Baca, which means the Valley of Weeping, uh, which, is a, which is a good way to uh, describe the sorrows and hardships of this life, to travel through the Valley of Weeping. It's something, you know, that's something that oftentimes, Lord willing, you don't learn what that means and what that feels like until you're older, although not all children are exempt from that, of course. But as a, it's a painfully tragic and beautiful turn of phrase that I think accurately describes much of life. It is good to give God thanks for the reality of our material comforts and blessings, right? We acknowledge we are very wealthy society, wealthy country, wealthiest country in, uh, in the history of the world. And so that means that uh, you've never wept, Right? of all the stuff you have you've never cried you've never you've never sobbed like deep mournful sobs because you're like i've got so much stuff what do i need to cry for right of course not of course not we are human beings and we are not defined by our possessions and the valley of baka you can go through with barely anything in your pockets or a whole camel train of, of goods and good of goods but you still go through the valley. Yet the apostle said, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. But the valley of tears doesn't define us. The valley of weeping. It is a place that we are passing through. Even more, by the grace of God, we see what the psalmist says, that, that, that Christian pilgrims have a, have a transformative presence that transforms the valley of weeping into a place of springs and refreshment for our souls, that God provides the rain and pools. And, and, this, is, and this is incredibly important because there are deep sorrows that we, in, that, we in, that we feel and we endure as Christians. But we also, when, it, you know, when I've, I've gone through it, and then to some degree, and I've talked to others who have gone through it, but you talk to them and say, look, Yes, are those times of despair and feeling alone and dark? Absolutely. Christians experience those. That's, that's normal. But also what, what I hear from Christians as well is, but my Lord is with me. I know he's with me. I feel him with me. Because the Lord is with us there. And he is turning the valley of weeping into places, the place of springs and pools of refreshment. 
And this, this highlights what we find in verse 7, 7 through 8, that we are, as spiritual pilgrims, as godly pilgrims, we are confidently dependent. Confidently dependent. Verse 7 almost sounds like overconfidence, except for what he says in verse 8. But what we have in verse 7 is essentially the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears in Zion. That we would go from strength to strength, we might think implies just kind of like just kind of just, you know, flying off into the atmosphere. Nothing's wrong. Everything's awesome. Nothing phases that dude uh, because he's just an amazing Jesus warrior. But going from strength to strength implies that we have weakness, that we have need, that we are vulnerable, that we have hard circumstances that require additional strength that we do not have. That we require strength that we are not capable of giving. It is a heavenly confidence that God will provide us with the strength we need to make it to the end. Matthew Henry wrote on this. He said, those who press forward in their Christian course shall find God adding grace to their graces. Those who press forward in their Christian course shall find God adding grace to their graces. Now, with all this confidence, why does the psalmist pray like he does in verse 8? All of a sudden, he goes from strength to strength. Each one will appear before God in Zion. Uh, it's going to happen, no doubt. Hear my prayer. Lord, hear my prayer. All of a sudden, you're like, wait, I thought you were Mr. Confidence, and now you sound like Mr. Doubt. And you're like, well, for one thing, doesn't that feel like Christian life? You, you move, you, you're like, I was really on the mountaintop until I fell off of it, right? And just tumbled all the way down the hill. Now I'm back down the valley, right? How fast that can happen. The psalmist may seem like a happy-go-lucky fellow. Uh, but what we see here is the psalmist feels his own need. And he turns to the Lord through prayer, for it is through prayer, by the means of prayer, that that strength is apprehended that he's talking about there. The journey for spiritual pilgrims is fueled by, carried along by prayer. The key to remember here is that while we may travel through the valley of weeping, we are yet blessed, for our strength is our God, and he will bring us home to himself which is the place where our hearts long to be. And, uh, and, uh, but for the journey, God has given us a tremendous tool, this thing that we call one of the means of grace, prayer, by which we communicate our needs, and God answers us and supplies us with our needs. This is why John Calvin called prayer the lifeblood of the Christian. We have considered our destination, and its journey. But the psalmist now concludes with something that can be applied to both of them, both to the destination, the journey, which is our blessed trust. Our blessed destination, our blessed journey, and lastly, our blessed trust in verses 9 through 12. And unsurprisingly, I would, I, I would, uh, I would, um, it would seem that God is our trust. The psalmist directs our eyes not to himself and his commitment and his and in his righteousness, but to God 
and, and to the face of the Messiah, the anointed. One scholar wrote that for us, Jesus, with his, unchange, with his unchanging priestly kingship, is the eternal guarantor of our security, accepted, acceptance, and blessedness. Jesus, with his unchanging priestly kingship, is the eternal guarantor of our security, acceptance, and blessedness. In verse 11, the psalmist writes that the Lord is a sun and shield. What does the sun do? It illuminates. That is, that, that is, the Lord is light for us in the darkness. And he is a shield. The shield's blocking you from the attacks of the enemy. The Lord is protection for his people in times of attack and danger. And further, he is gracious and generous, bestowing unmerited favor and honor upon his people. That is... God isn't holding out on us. He's just getting started. Whatever blessings God has bestowed upon you, he's just getting started. Such that Paul said, you can look at your most terrible sufferings, your most terrible sufferings, and Paul said, the, the most terrible sufferings you could suffer in this life, that you have suffered in this life, or that you could suffer in this life, are not even worth comparing to what is waiting for you in glory. I mean, think about that. The worst things that, could, that have happened to you or could happen to you in this life are not even worth doing a comparison chart of, of, of comparing which one's better. He says it doesn't even make the page of what God has planned for you. That means you cannot even comprehend what God has planned for you. That is a precious promise to hold on to, especially when you are going through the valley of weeping. Because God is our trust. This is also, you know, it's, I cited a lot. It's just, I, I'm not kidding. It's, what, it's probably my favorite verse in the Bible at this point. <laughs> uh, it's, hard, it's hard to say. It almost feels bad to say that. But I'll, I'll say it's my life verse, right? That's a Christian way of saying my favorite verse. It's my life verse. Um, in Christ, Paul says in Ephesians 1-3, we have been blessed. We have been, past tense. In Christ, we have been blessed with every blessing in the heavenly places. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. But I love it. Right? I don't get it, but I love it. And I want to keep thinking about it. Because I love it more and more. Like, have you or I even begun to scratch the surface of what that means? List off, we talked about listing off all the bad things. Lift off all, all the good stuff. The very best things that you could imagine. Have we even scratched the surface of the blessedness that Christ has for us, has secured for us? It's already ours. And he has secured it. Will we arrive at heaven and find the stores of blessing depleted? Being like, sorry, sold the last one, right? We're all out for you, bud. But you made it. You made it in, so you can, get, you can, you can sleep in the shed, all right? We ran out of mansions, okay? 
when 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 heavenly habitat for humanity comes along, they'll build some more houses and we'll and we'll we'll get you going. God will not fail his own. He will not fail himself, he will not fail his promises, he will not fail you. God is our trust. And those who trust in God are eternally blessed. That's the third beatitude that we're given. The psalmist declares that that a single day in the courts of the Lord is better than a thousand elsewhere. There are no vacation destinations that you could go to for a thousand days that would be better than a single day in God's blessed, immediate presence. Further, he says that he, that the psalmist says he would rather be one who simply, now it's doorkeeper is probably a mistranslation because a doorkeeper is an exalted position. Um, So he's more like a guy who's just standing by the door. So he said, I would rather be just a guy who slipped in the door, standing in the back, right, um, in, in, in the courts of the Lord, in the presence of my God, than to have the abundance of the wicked out in their tents in the wilderness. And we find in his words, as one scholar wrote, eloquence without extravagance. We do not comprehend the absolute goodness and joy it is to be in the immediate presence of God. We get little tastes of it. We get little moments, little flare-ups, little things that really just illuminate our souls and we're just bursting with joy. But it's not all the time. The reality is that one day in glory with the Lord is better I mean, it just, it, I mean, just think about, think about your best, one of your recent best days. Maybe it was a vacation day. Maybe it was something. Just think about just, a, just you think about recently. Just you'd be like, that was a good day. That was an excellent day. That was the best day I've had in a long, long time. Just think about that day. Think about the joy, the rest, safety that you felt. Now imagine if you could have that a thousand times in a row. The psalmist says, one day in his courts is better than that. Better than that. That's how good it is to be in the presence of God. All of this communicates to us, assures us that we ought always to trust in the Lord and that his presence is where we want to be ultimately. That is where the ultimate place of blessedness is. Because, look, we trust in others for specific things and to specific degrees for a variety of reasons, right? We trust in certain people for specific things because of their capacity to help us, their willingness to help us, their ability to help us, their dependability, and so on. Well, God is a being of infinite capacity and infinite ability. He is a being who is absolutely good. He is completely willing and dependable. He has proved these things about himself as creator and the sustainer of his creation, but especially as our redeemer. He has proved them in sending his son Jesus who confirms to us all the promises of his covenant. And so as we close out, we need to think about what what does this all mean for us. So it, it means that you and I have a destination and it is one that we are right to long for, to have a holy dissatisfaction with where we're at now and a longing to be with the Lord, to pine 
before the courts of the Lord to be in his presence. But our journey itself is a blessed one because God is with us and he's given us the gift of prayer by which we communicate our needs and he sustains us. And this further makes the regular gathering of God's people for worship indispensable for the Christian life. In this life, Christ is our trust. And we set our eyes of faith upon him, as Hebrews says, as we run the race set before us. And we have this confidence as we travel through this valley of tears. Our Savior has never failed those who trust in him. And he will not fail us today. Blessed are all those who trust in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have this blessed trust. Lord, for the journey is long, and we struggle, and we wrestle, and we doubt. We go through the valley of weeping. We go through the valley of the shadow of death. We, fare, we face a whole variety of, of, of fears and sorrows and losses and griefs that we do not wholly recover from. We thank you that you are there with us, that your son is with us, because your spirit communicates his presence to us as he shepherds us through the valley, as he brings us to your glorious throne. And so, Lord, we pray that we would remember, that we would sing like, like the psalmist here as we go upon our, our pilgrim way. That we would set our eyes on that blessed destination, longing for, rejoicing at the very thought of being in the presence of God in the courts of the Lord in heaven and then in the new heavens and the new earth. That we would be caught up in the wonder and the beauty and just the beyond our imagining and reckoning just what that could be like. And Lord, may that inform us in our journey now. May it lift our eyes to Christ and to the eternal city to which we are headed. That we may rightly evaluate where we are. That we may not be caught up in despair in the struggles and hardships of this life. But that we may lift up our needs and our, and our concerns and our wounds to you in prayer as you communicate to us your grace and love to us through your Son. And, your, and by your spirit, Father, we pray that you would bless your people, for you are our trust. Your Son is our hope. Your Spirit is, is the seal of your promises that is in us. So, Father, we pray that we would rejoice in your grace and love tonight, and that we would take to our hearts this pilgrim song. And, Lord, we pray this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Well, let's stand now and...